like haunts? Yes. Do you like immersive theater? Yes. Do you like escape rooms? Yes. What's the safe word? My haunt life. Hello and welcome to the My Haunt Life podcast. I'm Mike. And I'm Russell. And Russell, on the last podcast, we talked about a new escape room we went to called Stash House. Yes, we did. And we liked it a lot, right? Yes. Thank goodness, because we have the creators here with us. We have Tommy and Don. That would have been very awkward if you didn't. <laughs> we usually do awkward, but I'm glad it's not this time. And uh, can you introduce yourself so people know your voices? Hi, I'm Don. And I'm Tommy. And I guess I should say I'm Tommy Haunton. <laughs> if you want your last name out there, yeah, sure. that works. <laughs> Don and is De- remaining mysterious. <laughs> last name is Delion, D-E-L-E-O-N, for those who are taking notes. Or writing love letters. Yeah. Oh. What's your mother's maiden name? Fan name. <laughs> what was well, the name of your first pet? <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Mike. I, it's all you, man. No, why? You, why you started the list of questions. <laughs> I don't want to steal you. This steal looks your so band. official. So we we uh, we always like email like, hey, what if we ask him this? What if we ask him this? We always trade ideas. Uh, you one should of see things... his original ones. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> we really really enjoyed Stash House, and you guys have been getting very very positive reviews, very positive feedback, obviously from. Uh, and LA, I think it's safe to say, has a pretty rabid fan base now for escape rooms. The uh, many of them have popped up in the last couple of years. So one of the things that the reason we wanted to talk to you guys is Stash House is pretty unique on several levels. And one of the things that we wanted to talk about was the story, the structure. But before we get into that, you guys have backgrounds in creative fields. I, I know, Don, that you have been a producer and a writer and a director of various projects ranging from feature films to short films. Uh, and Tommy, you, I don't know as much about actually, Okay. but I keep running into you at escape rooms and events <laughs> and I know that you've been creating stuff. Uh, I know that I believe you worked with Think Tank mm-hmm. and, uh, we also later on, we, uh, we want to eventually get into street baptism, which is something that you guys, uh, created. So what is your background and how did you two meet and begin creating together? So I was born in Kansas, went to college in St. Louis and was always convinced I was going to do psychology or classics. But then I realized halfway through college, I did not want to do either one of those things. Okay. I love the subjects, but the career implications were, were pretty limited. And so I looked into anything else I could, and I was always afraid that going after my passions, which was creative puzzles, games, storytelling, that if I had to study it academically, I would kind of lose its, its luster for me. But I had no other options. I was kind of in a corner and being like, well, I might as well take a writing course. So I took that, and that kind of set me on the path of coming to L.A., uh, and I came out, met a lot of people, and just decided just after my internship, I decided to move out here after college. So it was in that like kind of pursuit that I went the writing path mm-hmm. and met a very interesting character who introduced me to Don. Uh, I was kind of wanting to do like the screenwriting route, and at the time I was working at Disney and just looking to kind of break out and just do anything writing-wise. And was working on a project that I had a lot of big ideas, very lofty ideas. And this guy was like, eh, kind of a mentor figure, said, eh, you should dial it back, do something a little more grounded, a little more realistic. And so I finally settled on one idea. And I was halfway done with it, and I gave it to him. And he said, there's a person you should meet. 
and I was hesitant to work with anyone. I tried to work with a friend. It didn't go anywhere. And I was just like, eh, I don't know if I want to work with someone. But then uh, that person ended up being Dawn. So uh, yeah, we met and uh, finished the script together. And from that, we kind of formed a writing partnership. And from there, we got representation and just realized we we're kind of stuck with each other. And <laughs> the whole sensibilities of just, we had similar tastes. Uh, we had very similar producing styles. And that was kind of what, and the stories we wanted to tell were, were really similar. So we realized it was a good partnership. So, no, what was that script like? Is it something that did get made? <laughs> no, uh, it kind of painted us in a corner. Uh, it was called The Prospect, and it was a teen thriller. And teen thrillers at that point were no longer lucrative, uh-huh. and so people were calling us the teen thriller guys. It's how our reps were selling us, and <sighs> it was yeah. <laughs> it was a tough one. I, I have n- numerous writer friends, and so like I yeah, they get pigeonholed, and their reps pigeonhole them, and inadvertently yeah, it was just this tough. is a story I've heard before. Yeah. Good learning experience, though. Yeah, I mean, we, we got repped, and we were lucky for that. We got exposure, but we we learned a lot. We probably made a lot of mistakes just in early meetings, and I would love to look back at those uh, just to laugh at how awkward we must have been. One meeting, we just we almost said nothing. We were afraid of saying too much. <laughs> and then another one, we probably came across like Gil from The Simpsons, you know, the Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, Jack Lemmon character that it's modeled after, just of us being like, come on, come on, you want to buy our script? We got a bunch of them. They're really good. <laughs> <laughs> so we just we learned our footing and after a while we just kind of got frustrated with the whole studio system and the producing process our reps did not get us at all and i know it was never going to be like our best friends but you know the material we would give them they just didn't understand or mm. appreciate and again they need to be able to sell it but they weren't putting up with, with projects we liked. we were getting scraps and we just kept getting more and more frustrated and at that point, we were both in studio jobs, and I was really frustrated with the whole process on both ends, the creative side, and I was working at Disney. Um, what type of job did you have at Disney? I was in the TV side. I was in the publicity and photo department. Uh, and Don, what were you doing at that time? What kind of studio jobs have you held down? When, uh, when Tommy and I first met, I was working in the story department at Paramount Pictures. Okay. So, yeah, really involved with the whole development process and know it really inside and out, and so... It was interesting working as writers on that side and then being on the opposite side where, you know, Tommy and I would go in and we would meet with um, executives, development execs, and during the day I would be working with the same sort of execs just at Paramount. It was an interesting process, I think, sort of seeing both sides of of development and then from Don's side and then for me just seeing the publicity side of how they would polish it. And it was kind of a weird – it was like being in a slaughterhouse, seeing how – you know, beautiful uh, meals were made and realizing that the whole process was really awful uh, and that a lot of the meetings and things we had gone through were just waste of time. A lot of the the people we were sitting with were just justifying their day jobs. And mm-hmm. we realized just how I kind of likened it to an old Hanna-Barbera cartoon where the background repeats and you feel like you're moving forward, but in reality, you're on a treadmill and the background's just repeating and you feel very stuck. And we both came out here to tell stories. We didn't come out here just to sit there and have things sit on shelves and get endless notes from people. And we, I grew especially dissatisfied. And it wasn't until I started seeing, I saw Sleep No More, and then I also went to the first kind of escape experience that happened out here in L.A. And those just, my head exploded. Mm. And I'm sure when I told Don like, that I saw this stuff and did this stuff, it's like, this, this changes everything. 
it was like the stuff that I'd always wanted to do because I used to do elaborate scavenge hunts for friends growing up and just all this crazy stuff that I just saw as a fun hobby seeing this in the wild that people were paying for at this level of production it just it was it was like having a dream come true and I emailed everyone I could and just said like teach me or let me be part of this I don't care what I have to do and someone actually said yes and that was when I pulled Don in and said what do you think of this space there there's storytelling here we can actually make something and there was just this long conversation we had which is we both saw that there was more in this world that we could do <laughs> yeah so i hope that, that so that's kind of the background of, of how we how we kind of came into segueing from film and tv into this kind of live uh immersive space what got you from that point to specifically doing i know you hate hate the term escape rooms <laughs> but like to a puzzle solving room um we had always talked about doing something that was different and originally we were working with someone who was kind of well known in the escape room world and we were going to work with him and he really taught us a lot he was a really good even though we ended up not working with him he still was a good friend and mentor and we got we learned a lot about the business and kind of his approach but his approach was very focused on safe routes and tradition and basic like safe money-making routes we wanted to approach it from a different kind of angle of is there a way to bootstrap this ourselves because we were sick of having our stories and things be tied up with other people and reliant on other people that we didn't rely on or didn't want to rely on creatively uh so is there a way to do this as cheap as possible that we can control and have it feel different or underground or real and uh was it starry kitchen what, what kind of inspired the original discussion about putting it in an apartment Oh, probably from a cost perspective. Could we rent out an $800 apartment and throw an escape room in there and control it from the apartment next door and we could live in that one or something like that? I think that's probably the first idea of doing something like that. Something of like, mm-hmm. you know, uh, something that took place in an apartment. Right, and, which, is a, which is a model people have experimented with mm-hmm. before. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. You know, it's like Mike and I are familiar with haunts that have Yeah, home haunts, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we're literally going into a hotel room, stage something in a hotel room, control it from the room next door. Oh, wow. That's that's, yeah. that's awesome. That's yeah. ballsy. So, yeah, we were interested in doing something like that, but we also knew that there was a cost to produce it, and we couldn't legally run it for a period of time that we needed to to kind of you know make it a feasible business. Mm-hmm. So that's when we started looking at more of a commercial space. And even thinking story-wise, why an apartment? We wanted it to make sense, not just to be like, you're in an Egyptian tomb that happens to be an apartment in the valley. You know, it, it's that kind of idea of, can it actually be set where it is? Right. I, I think there's something fun about having limitations. There's nothing more intimidating than a blank page or a blank canvas. And it's kind of fun to be able to surprise people with constraints. And the idea of, okay, if you put in an apartment, how can you make an apartment interesting? How can you tell a story in that space? Everyone's been in one. Is there an interesting narrative or a thing you can unfold that will surprise or delight people? You know, and that that's sort of where the whole discussion came from is, you know, can you explore forbidden things in the space? Yeah. And then what is that thing? And that sort of led to Stash House. Hmm. And and you certainly do have numerous surprises along <laughs> the way in Stash House. So one of them I don't even think is intentional. Mike pointed something out in your set that could be a story element or it could be you guys controlling the room. And, oh, yes. And, yeah, I know, and, yes. and it, was, it was as soon as Mike noticed, it was like, 
that's either really creepy or it's just <laughs> the tech aspect of what we're about to do. And I went with, in my head, really creepy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, we, we, yes, 100% planned it to be creepy. So yeah. we'll take credit for it. Good. <laughs> yeah, how should we, how, I don't want to spoil anything, but how, how open should we be with spoilers? That, that's up to you guys. Yeah. Like oh. we, like when we talked about it, uh, I mean, you heard it. Yeah, you were very measured. Yeah. Because um, we, because we, most of the fun is exploring and finding those surprises. So, you know, like to us, we like, I don't even think we mentioned it was an apartment, but you know. Yeah. You know, so it's stuff like that. So, I mean, because it's your creation, mm-hmm. that's totally your call on what you want to do. I mean, it's hard because, yeah, one of the things we really enjoy doing is after it's done, we like walking, you know, we, there's a group of owners uh, who kind of, I guess, Southern California based because it extends all the way down to San Diego and up north a little bit. But every month or so we'll do room swaps and people will come and hang out and uh, trade out. We'll call it like an industry night. And it was really fun. People that really are into game design walking through kind of how we laid things out. Mm -hmm. So it's really fun doing it, talking that that space at them but it's tough to do it for public consumption because you have to have experienced it sort of go through mm-hmm. um so yeah that's it's tough talking about spoilers but after the show we can talk about stuff too yeah. you <laughs> well you set up um actually you know on your website you, you set up the basic story you you set up that you're going to this person's residence you set up that the person is not the most law-abiding citizen in the world and that there's a deal that you have to you have to deal with this person and they're going to challenge you with something so that that's you know that is the setup that you provide and then when you show up at the location it immediately becomes a story that's unfolding Mm -hmm. which is uh, you know mike and i talk all the time me even i think more so than mike i you know i love story-based stuff and that's one of the strengths of Stash House, I think, is the fact that everything in the room relates to the setup that you provide. And if it doesn't relate exactly to the task that you're trying to accomplish, it is related to the backstory mm-hmm. of whose apartment. Why do they have certain pieces of furniture in their apartment? Um, and, you know, what have those pieces of furniture been used for in the past? It's like all of that is very story-based. And that and that's, I thought that was a couple of the wonderful surprises. Um, I will say this, I, I completely wanted, I almost derailed a puzzle because I was convinced that we had to, how do I put this? I was convinced that we had to change our clothes at one point. Um you can. Sure. We, we, I actually have seen that puzzle solved now with people wearing it. Interesting. Because that that's exactly where I went. And then somebody solved the puzzle without actually yeah. changing their clothes. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's, that's where I went. It's it now possible. A, yeah, it takes a special skill to do that. Yeah. <laughs> Some yoga training, perhaps. But yeah, people have done it now multiple yeah. times. Oh, that is interesting. I want to go back and try that. <laughs> You're welcome to any time, as long as we can film it. Yeah, no, 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 I think that'll be the, the, the cover photo for uh, for your show now. So. Yes. <laughs> as Mike said, and I've heard you say this personally, and uh, I've actually read quotes from you that say this. <laughs> uh, Mike brought up the term escape room. Mm-hmm. Stash house, you aren't, I, I think it's fair to say you immediately learn that you're not trying to escape the room. That's not mm-hmm. the purpose in you going there. Yeah. And I think that's pretty clear with the setup. Sure. So uh, talk a little bit about what you think is the the strength of that type of setup as opposed to just an escape room. What is the difference? What are you guys trying to create? 
it's like obviously you both come from story driven backgrounds mm-hmm. it's like if you both were writers if you're if you're a producer and director and uh, they, that's obviously where you're leaning toward um how did stash house begin because stash house didn't begin as this room and how did the the story how did you get to this story so uh, there's a there's a group that was formed with a bunch of rappers from new york uh, back in maybe the late 90s or early 2000s. They're called The Firm, and it was uh, Foxy Brown and Nas. They had the song on their first album that they released. Their popular song was called Phone Tap, and it's used a lot on a local radio show here to do, um, it's a, it's like a prank call thing. Mm-hmm. This, there's another song on there called Five Minutes to Flush, and I think <laughs> this song, when I heard of it, really stuck with me, and it was you know when you hear when you hear the song it's just really visual and it was a guy who is four o'clock in the morning he's sleeping next to his girlfriend and the cops are are trying to bang down his door and it's like he has to get rid of his whole stash within this when you know within this time of five minutes before the cops come in and he's talking about coming face to face with the police of the the uh, chief of police uh and he's talking about putting coke in the oven, and he thinks that his girlfriend is framing him. But it's something like <laughs> that really stayed with me for a while. Mm-hmm. And then Tommy mentioned um, the prospect, and I think maybe we have a character in that that is sort of maybe like um, like our character Ray at a very young age. It's you know stuff like that is kind of comes back where we try and you know tie things in so it's this song it's that it's maybe putting a spin on the typical escape room where you don't have to escape what is going to keep you inside and then putting people in a situation where they're never going to be in or any law-abiding mm-hmm. citizen is never going to be although in. i've got a feeling after we've run some games people have been in that situation just seeing the reaction <laughs> there are a few subtle things um a certain smell that we utilize and when people understand why we use it, you're like, yeah, I know what you do for a living. Or I know, I yeah. know, I know where you've been employed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that the overall intention of, of next level design, I mean, when Escape Rooms first came out, the idea of doing something physical that you could do in a game based on these flash games, which is just clicking on stuff and like opening doors, mm-hmm. uh, was really interesting. But then the elevation of it over the years, it has really, it's got to be about intention of design, which is what are you trying to do? It's not enough to solve something. It's got to be about what are the emotions you're supposed to be feeling about doing stuff. And it's not just unlocking a lock or opening something you should you weren't able to open before. But the idea of flushing drugs is a pretty powerful thing. It's the idea of standing around a toilet and flushing drugs. How many people have actually gone through that scenario where the cops are banging at your door? It's a very visceral feeling, and it's a very strong feeling. And so the idea that we really wanted to build a game around this was pretty funny. We were thinking, okay can we do this? Can we pull this off? And can you have be this high octane moment where people open a door, there's a toilet and it's like the cops are there. You got to do it. And that's a pretty powerful thing. You can kind of control the emotions at that point. And building a, a game like this or an experience is it's a series of, of discoveries and adventures that have to complement one another along the way of this journey. And each aspect of that should give you an emotion or some aspect of surprise or reward. So that was sort of how we approached it was, can we do enough of a story to justify this ending? And, okay, why? well, why is this here? I mean, we're both huge story people. And so we wanted to have answers to all those questions, even if people weren't asking them, because we wanted to know. And even try to build our hint into that story. 
So the flushing drugs was a big part of it. And it really is like constructing a skeleton with different body parts first, where we know we had the skull, we had the ribcage, and it's just adding these little bits to construct and make a whole figure. And then from there, okay, we have the story structure now, which is you're flushing these drugs. Well, why are you there? Who is the character that's invited you there? Why, you know, why this place? What does it look like? And, you know, we'd always just sit there and go, sometimes go around and around in circles about, well, why this? Why that? But ultimately, we'd come to a conclusion about, okay, well, this is that. And it was adding a new mile marker onto the, to the I guess, journey. And I think the most interesting aspect of the Ray character came from deciding on um, the name. We didn't know if this would be the character's real name or a fake one. Mm-hmm. And the idea of, well, what would a character, why would a person use a fake name? And so it came around building this this role of you wanted a villain, but also one who wasn't just an evil person that you hated. You want I, I love villains personally. Uh, everyone from the Joker to Hannibal Lecter. There's something fascinating about villains that are empathetic. Loki. Those are all characters that have different pa- uh, pathos and have these interesting charismatic things where they may be doing evil things, but they're still fun to watch. So we also wanted to craft a villain in Ray that was sympathetic and interesting, who you could hate but also really like so we had to sort of craft this persona and that's where the sense of humor came from too is we wanted to add that that element of danger but also humor so it's like in building the skeleton we had all these elements does I, actually i was I literally about to interrupt you and say mm-hmm. well that's the cool thing that i thought about the beginning of the room is basically it's a prank mm-hmm. it, it's kind of a mean-spirited prank yeah, <laughs> yeah. but it's a prank yeah, and like it's interesting you say that because i never saw ray as the villain Interesting. He's yeah. definitely a horrible person, uh, and what he does makes people do. Yeah, um, he's he's amassed the body count, which is why we want to be part of his crew. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you are. Sometimes you uh, you need to be on the right side of things. Um, yeah, and that's interesting because I don't think Mike. I, I am just having the realization that I don't think Mike realized that we witnessed the outcome of some violence. You did. And I don't think Mike even knows that happened. Mm-hmm. So, and I can't say it because yeah. was, was I in a certain yes. puzzle? Y- oh. You you were concentrating on a certain puzzle. There's there's something yeah. that you there's an element where you can discover more backstory. Oh, okay. And that was also intentional, which was kind of discovering more of the world in unexpected places. Yeah. My favorite part of that puzzle is you can tell when people are on the right track with it visually by the nature of what they're doing. That makes sense. Because yeah. If, yeah, yeah. if you're following it correctly, you are, you're able to pick up certain milestones and, and key points. And you can see people having that realization physically, mm-hmm. which is really exciting when people start connecting things. There's a certain uh, body language that you have when people are really excited about something that even watching it over a camera system and hearing it, there's like, I don't want to say I get jollies from it, but I do. It's really exciting because we're basically drug dealers in a different way. And this is sort of the philosophy I have when I design stuff is we're parsing out adrenaline and dopamine. Right. We're making people feel smart and excited and connected to something. And when people make those revelations, that is the ultimate drug high. Mm-hmm. And you get to see people have the same kind of palpitations and excitement that they might get from shooting up something or starting something. But this is just the natural high of feeling smart or, or, or realizing something. Or lucky. Or lucky. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which I think that happened a couple of times. <laughs> so one thing that we spoke about is, um, you know, you, you just mentioned I missed something because mm-hmm. I was doing a certain puzzle and I <laughs> missed a, a few things. Yeah, you were on a track that, that is a little isolating. Yeah, which is great. Um, but uh, for people that want to do like replay value, how, what is your outlook on replay value for this specific room? 
we've talked about this, um, you know, and I'm sure, I don't know if you still agree about one and done. Yeah. I think that was our whole thing. And it, it's great watching people do it for the first time. And when you watch someone do it for a second time, it's also really fun because you see which directions they go and they, you know, they're taking all the directions that they didn't take the previous time. Mm -hmm. And after talking to this person, uh, we've, we both realized that there's a there's a lot of replay value to it. Um, it's it's actually, not something we intended, though. It's really funny. We wanted uh, to be one and done. We had someone come, and we were going to snap a group photo. And this person, uh, to protect this person's identity, we're not saying anything about the scenario. Uh, but the person's like, don't take my photo. I am supposed to come back and play with other people soon. And I don't want them to know I've already played because I told them I'd wait for them. <laughs> and, so this, and, and soon is like the next day. Yeah. Oh, wow. And so this yeah. person hid from all photos and was not mentioned in like the group review or anything. And the person hid in the back during the walkthrough because we do a walkthrough for everyone. Because like you said, people miss. And we never intended, like Don said, to this to be, oh, this is one and done. Like, don't, if you want to give us more money, sure, we'll take it, I guess. But go support other rooms and other experiences. Like, this is meant to be a full production, a full experience. You're not going to be able to see everything. It's meant to mm -hmm. be you have to split up by the nature of the game. And I get the anxiety of the FOMO of missing out. But that's why we do the walkthrough so you get to see everything. It's really disingenuous in my mind for places not to do walkthroughs. Because I, even if you solve the full experience or go through everything, you might have missed one thing. And afterwards, you're reconstructing it with friends. I want to see everything. And so having that walkthrough happen, it reinforces everything you've done. And at the end of it, people can go through and discuss their own solo experiences. It's not going to track someone's chance to say, like what you did, Mike. You can still talk about what happens, even if everyone kind of has the rough framework of it. You still had that full experience. Me doing a 30-second walkthrough of what you did is not the same thing. Mm -hmm. And if people want to come through and experience it, like, hell, even during the walkthrough, people can crawl through different areas or go see things they haven't seen before. Mm -hmm. So, But this person hid in the back and then came through and played a track uh, this person didn't know about. And mum's the word. No one in that group knew this person had played before. And this person felt uh, they had not cheated in any way because they focused on one whole track that they did not touch. We've actually been in a position where we refused walkthroughs. Really? Yeah. Because you wanted to replay it. Because, uh, especially if we fail at a room. Mm -hmm. We have done that over like, do not give us sure. a walkthrough. And the other thing that I, I, I have noticed... Like, there is an escape room in town that does not want you to come back after one time. Yeah. And they're very adamant about that. And it just so happens I've actually played a couple of their rooms twice because I keep getting invited to birthday parties there. <laughs> so. Awesome. <laughs> and I just, and literally the way I approach this is, um, you know, I go in and I think you mentioned it, Don, of you concentrate on something else. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that that is my philosophy of... If I am going back and I've done a few rooms twice, I literally go back and, and I would like to do Stash House again because even though you explained, yeah. there are two aspects of the room mm -hmm. that I deliberately was like, I have a feeling I'm going to come back here someday. And there's one puzzle that I basically was so confusing to me that I sort of ignored you as yeah, you were... Yeah, and I remember you got... Yeah, I remember you... Uh, yeah, so I, I, I stopped explaining it much because I remember you you walked away from it almost. Yeah, I did. I yeah. did because it was just like, that was really difficult for me. Mm -hmm. And I and I try... I revisited it several times while we were playing. And the other thing is even the, the, the puzzle that isolates people, mm -hmm. even though you gave a basic description of that, mm -hmm. 
I guarantee you, if I were to go back and try that, <laughs> I I would have to discover it on my own. Sure. So even though I know that I I know like well, you gave me one clue to it of like how how to connect yeah. several things, but I would have to discover it on my own. The, so I yeah. think the room has a great deal of replayability, and it, it, I just think it's a philosophy thing because Mike and I have talked about this numerous times about different rooms mm-hmm. and the fact that if you go back, you just concentrate on what you didn't do the first time. Yeah. And, and I, the other thing that I've done is if somebody says they need help, I never offer the answer. Mm -hmm. You know, if I can, if I can, if I can nudge, if I can hint or whatever safely, I will do that. And I think I've only really only done it once that I recall, you know, and it's just like somebody turned to me and said, like, we can't move forward. And I looked at, and I knew exactly what the problem was. And, and the only clue I gave to them is you have everything you need look at everything you're holding one more time. That's great. And that's, you know, yeah, and that's, that, that's and that was literally all so I said. Much, yeah. And they, they tra- tracer steps backwards. And what they had done is they had already done that. They just needed to go one once, step yeah. farther back. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yes, yes. yes. So, and I think stash house offers a lot of that possibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, it goes back to what you were saying. Like we do it for the fun of it. We like, yes. we like to feel smart. We like the, the dopamines and everything, you know, we we don't do a room and then go back to it just to, like let's help, let's try to get the record. Yeah, you know we're we're not like that. It's like it's exactly what Russell was saying. Like we do it. It's like we totally missed the part. We want to go back and like see everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's the thing is if people want to come back, we're totally open to it. But we don't want to feel like people are being forced to to see everything because. To, again, to me, that's disingenuous. We want people to feel they got a full experience. If that includes them potentially coming back, we'll respect that. But we'd prefer if people want to spend their money, that's fine. But we would prefer giving them the option and more often than not go and spend money at other places there are so many great experiences out here <laughs> we want that that whole place to a, a rising tide lifts all boats in my opinion and we want people to support the local economy of these kind of of these experiences and, and to be clear like to both of you like i felt i got my, my full experience absolutely mm-hmm. even though i'm saying that yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I missed out on some stuff it i i have no fear of missing out yeah it's yeah. like I, I completely feel like I did. You know, actually, Mike would be the person, like, because you were, yeah. <laughs> you were concentrating on one thing for quite a bit. Yeah, and, <laughs> and, and you know, and I don't mean this negatively, but I did miss out on a lot. Mm-hmm. But and that's why I want to go back because I want to see everything, you mm-hmm. know. And 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 yeah, and and that's the thing. Like with the walkthrough at the end, it's like okay, I, I get it, but it's like such short term memory. It's like yes. okay, by the yeah. time I leave, it's like oh wait. Yeah, how, that, how that's the other that thing. Yeah. Retain. Great. Yeah. And if you guys want to come back, if we'll be adding a new two new elements that are pre and post game that you can experience. So oh, okay. yeah, we'll, we'll let that. you know when those are okay, available. Yeah. And yeah. excellent. Those will add to experience. <laughs> yeah, we're constantly making tweaks, and not for the sake of just making tweaks, but the idea of watching people leak data left and right. And so, with our first, I mean, we tested forty games almost before we opened publicly. Wow. And then we did kind of a month of like doing cheaper tickets with this for the sake of getting in public data. We knew at this point our game was decent mm-hmm. compared to a lot of ones out there and we tested well, but audience type matters. And for testing, we did free games for testing. We did the business card, which you guys played uh, to recruit a lot of people. We did anyone that expressed interest would get added to a list and we would just email out when we needed bodies. To yeah, to be, to be clear, explain that. Uh, so this is funny. So there was a meetup group um, that someone in the community took over for escape rooms. It was going to go away because the head of the meetup group went away, and I guess meetups go away if no one's in charge of it. So uh, someone took over from the community, and it's like, well, this is 300 people that are enthusiasts about escape rooms, so why not connect owners and fans? 
So they had scheduled a first meetup for owners to mingle with fans and to bring discount codes. And mm-hmm. in my mind, we're sitting there, we were far from open. And we're, and we're, we're sitting there and we're being invited. And we're sitting in the room doing work. And it's like, well, come and bring discounts. I'm like, well, it's silly. Like a flyer with a, a, a flyer <laughs> with a word like use, you know, escape 10 to save 10%. I'm like, people, this is a captive audience. People love this stuff. They want to solve puzzles and go on experiences. Why not make a flyer that has a little bit more interesting value to it? Mm-hmm. So we had a limited deadline to make something. And so it's like, well, what do we want to make? And this is where we started talking about, well, why don't we make something in story? And so we decided to make Ray's business card. And we had only like a few days. And it was the idea of never designing anything on a business card before. And so it was us just printing stuff out and seeing if it would work. I'd, we had a ton of ideas and it was just sitting there like printing them out and trying them. And something stuck. And we had like, I think the hour before the deadline to actually make it before we could stop printing. <laughs> and so we had to turn in what we had and it got printed the scale got messed up in the front so it was way too small but it still worked <laughs> it still worked yeah and yeah it still worked and so we picked yeah. up the uh, the 200 business cards and went to the event and passed them out having no idea how the hell they'd work and they worked well uh, there's a lot of stuff we changed but we're not going to do that version again uh, but yeah you guys experienced it and got to see like the first um iteration and someone texted me when you guys talked about it uh, on your show. And I was like, oh God, oh God, they probably hated it. They probably hated it. And so I was so thrilled that you got what we were trying to do and that you enjoyed it. And the number of responses we got from the card were overwhelming. Oh, uh, great. It was really interesting seeing the response it got. And my favorite part was we could see the time. Basically the card, we're not doing it again. So Ray's business card had uh, a series of puzzles and it basically told you that you needed to find his email address. And you had to basically, in the process of finding it, essentially destroy the card. You had to fold it and twist it in different ways and write on it. And by the end of it, you basically discover the email address by calling a phone number. You had to call the number and you got a message that told you to reread instructions in the front, which gives a lot about my design philosophy is I love hiding stuff in plain sight that makes you look at something again that you've already been seeing. Mm-hmm. And you'll understand what I mean by that from, from the major, a major reveal in, in the room. I love that kind of stuff. And so with this... Uh, you call the number and it tells you to reread only the even lines of the instructions. And when you do that, it tells you basically what the email address is. And it's meant to be a big, oh, moment. Because it was, the business card saved Ray Jones and his titles were distribution, import, export. And so it said the email address was the beginning of his three job titles, which is DIE. And the email address is our clever Swedish domain, Stash House, but it's .se. So it's stashhow.se. So it was die at Stash House was the email address. And we could tell the moment people called and the moment they emailed us. And my favorite moment like, was watching the number of seconds between getting that message and then realizing what the email address was. And it was usually like 30 seconds to a minute. And it was really exciting to see the adrenaline, <laughs> like imagining and even hearing the voicemails people left unintentionally because it was them hearing the message and be like, oh my God, it's die. Like hearing them say it. It was so <laughs> exhilarating that people were able to solve a business card that way. And someone asked if they were worried that people were going to copy us. And I said, no, I was worried about the opposite, that people won't, because I want stuff like that to solve. I want people to elevate and do weird, interesting stuff. Mm-hmm. And I want to play stuff like that. I want people to copy us and, and, and innovate on us and, and iterate on that idea 
and play with flyers and puzzles and elements. I know it's not for every, I know the casual audience is not going to do it. But having that option for enthusiasts and trying to add some level of fun for those people that want to go down the rabbit hole like me, like I mm-hmm. want to do stuff like that. And it makes a difference. Like that night was the first night I had met you. Oh, that's and, right. That's right. And your disco ball jacket. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm very subtle with my shoes and jackets. But, <laughs> but to your point, if you just brought a discount code, it's just, it was like, oh, cool. This is opening. Throw it on the pile. But the fact that you had a puzzle to show, it, it was like, oh my God, like this new room has an actual puzzle. Like, I can't wait to see this room. And mm-hmm. I think every time I saw you after that, I was like, when is your room open? Yeah. Because if it's going to be mm-hmm. like this card, like I can't wait. And we got questions from people being like, so are you going to invite us? And we made a promise that anyone that solved the card would get a free game, regardless of whether it was alpha or beta testing or after we open. People that solved the card, we kept a promise, got a free game, period. And that's true. Everyone that solved it has gotten a free game. I think one person has left to claim it, but everyone else has gotten it. Cool. That's awesome. We kept our promise. But it was just an interesting way because it was a fun way to like dip our toe in the water of testing out a game idea and sort of seeing if people responded to it, which they did. But also getting a, a, a group of people that we could use to test who were our seasoned puzzle solvers and in the experience. Mm-hmm. So we wanted to test with enthusiasts and with new people. And we could get our enthusiasts, not just friends, because... Friends are helpful, but it's really easy to be reserved when talking to friends. There are only a handful of people that I could trust to give honest, brutal feedback. The rest of it, having strangers come in who didn't know us, who are in the space that clearly can solve puzzles, that was valuable. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that kind of began the world of doing it, you know, uh, immersive elements within the story. Uh, and so I know you want to talk about street baptism. Yeah, the, the, we started down this road, yeah. so please continue down this road. <laughs> The story of Ray and Stash House and street baptism and all of that. Well, yeah, and when we were talking about doing uh, building out Ray's story, the idea of who is this character, we had a lot of ideas of, is he someone you're never even going to see? I think the idea of Ray's uh, race was coming up, where we didn't want to be seen as, as being racist or leaning into stereotypes. Mm-hmm. So originally we talked about doing Ray as a different person and like having five different intros. Different actors. All ethnicities. And it would just rotate after every game. So each group would see a different actor. And we, yeah, we thought about that of like, maybe that's this character of Ray. Maybe you never even see the real Ray. Maybe those are all actors he's hired to play him to be unknowable. Right. So at one point, uh, we were approached by Jacob, who is in charge of Think Tank Gallery. Mm-hmm. Um, who's, he, I've, I've gone to a bunch of his shows and he's a friend. So he reached out and said, we're doing this show. It's LA based. I know your room is in similar theme. Um, We'd love to have you do something for us. And they had done an escape room before, and he's like, just the space is yours. Just give me some days and your idea, and we'll do it. So we sat down and said, is there a way to do something um, that pushes the envelope in terms of what people are used to with game design? And can we inject story? And hell, let's do it as a promo for Stash House. And that's when we settled on doing a, a, a prequel uh, for the character that no one had ever met yet. <laughs> and... The nature of that meant that we had to have a Ray that was consistent. And so we were talking about casting different actors to play Ray. And we ended up meeting a guy named Sidney, who is just, he's a stand-up comedian out of Chicago. Yeah, Chicago. And he is so good. Uh, he has the, per- I mean, you guys met Ray. Mm-hmm. He's got yeah. the person, the personality of, of someone that's charismatic and fun, you know, who's likable, but also this undercurrent of menace. And that was the perfect fit. That's how I describe Russell. (laughs) (laughs) 
That's how I would describe it. You didn't have to laugh that quickly. <laughs> really? <laughs> I can see it. it I was a nervous laugh. It's, yeah, it's exactly. I'm scared. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, you can't I appreciate that, Tom. <laughs> yeah, Sydney just, he nailed the role, and we were going to cast different actors, because it was a three-night event that we still... We somehow decided doing three chapters back to back to back, all different. Are you insane? Yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. 30 minute shows. What was it? Five, 10 minutes between each show. Yeah. How many shows per night? 12, 11. It was a lot. Wow. Yeah. It was a lot for the actors. And Sydney. Yeah, he was a trooper. He was a warrior. He said he wanted to do all of them. Yeah. He said, I'll play every single night. He just has that amazing energy. Even at the end of the night, oh he's God. not faded at all. Mm. And yeah. yeah, three nights in a row. We were impressed. Yeah, we were wrapped by midnight each night, like 12.30. And he was just, he was so enthused because he had never done anything quite like this before. And we realized, I think this is something that we didn't want to cast the usual suspects, the people that you always see in immersive shows. And I know I'm going to get lambasted for this, but I love performers in the space. But at a certain point, it's really, really tough for me to be fully immersed if I know people. It's really, really hard. And we knew there would be usual customers who come to immersive shows coming to this mm -hmm. and we wanted to play around with new people in the space who they weren't used to seeing because part of immersion is, is not knowing that that's a performer it's really tough just to tell your brain and it's nothing against the performers they're amazing people in the space there are some really talented people that i love watching but i always know it's that person in the back of my brain i just can't turn that part off mm -hmm. i would love a switch that could so we were looking for newer people to work in the space and i think with sid he had the the ability to read a room well because of his comedy he knew how to go with the flow and improvise he knew how to keep calm and like read people and that was really important to us to be able to create an experience that was really reflective on the relationship between the participant and ray so he was the experience would not have been the same without him yeah people that went to all three they could really see his progression and his journey and they came to really love him mm-hmm which was surprising because we crafted the story that basically told the three most important days of Ray's life. Um, spoiler, his real name isn't Ray. Uh, his real name is Terry. And he is a kid from Crenshaw that just wants to escape his life. And in doing so is doing desperate things to get out. And kind of is a victim of circumstance. But it, you find out he has sort of a sinister Machiavellian quality to him. And that part of what makes him tick is he knows he's not the smartest or strongest guy in the room. But he knows that if he can be one step ahead of everyone, he can be. And that's sort of the thing you discover is that you are helping him. He's your friend. But he kind of screws you over repeatedly. And people still liked him. I, and it's because, yeah, the way we frame the story is he is your surrogate into the world. He's your guide. But even after he has you do horrible things, um, people still found him charming. And there's a moment towards the end of the third chapter where you have an option to be kind of rat him out or... Or, or, you know, not. And most people chose to stay his friend and stay by his side. And I think it's because, one, it speaks to Sydney's just amazing charisma that mm -hmm. people felt they wanted to see where this guy would go. And two, I think people got the confidence they could break bad. My favorite, one of my favorite experiences was we had a, a couple who are diehard puzzle solvers, but they're a little bit timid. And they were very afraid of the first night. And each night they came back, they kind of opened up a little bit more. And on the third night, there was a moment where basically you can choose the, the fate of a character that's pretty reprehensible. And most people would relish in watching this character squirm and potentially get killed. But at the moment where he could have been offed, 
this this person who two nights before had been incredibly timid basically cut off Ray and said, you know, no, like, we're going to make this work. Like, you're going to work for us now. And she broke bad. She was Walter White. <laughs> and at the end of it, she's like, no, we're here to make money. This, and she's arguing with, with, with Ray. She's arguing <laughs> with him. And he's in full-on, like, gangster mode. And she's arguing with him saying, no, this is the best way to make money. And she convinces, and she ended up unlocking what, like, probably the hardest I need to get, which is basically keeping this guy alive and convincing him to work as a mole within the police department. And <laughs> she convinces Ray. And it's, it's it, watching this person who two nights before could barely even open her mouth because she was so nervous. Now going on full Walter White was really exciting. Yeah. And the best part great at the end, Sydney was coming out uh, and he was like, oh my God, I love, they were so much fun. He's like, I feel really connected to them. And what the best part is there's an option where you can rat out Ray. You can go to the cops. And so they had played the whole experience basically getting Ray's side, like basically doing, like consolidating his crew. And at the very end, when they walked out, they kept the game going by calling the cops. There's a point where you can call, uh, you can basically call, oh, they're coming right now, I hear. Uh, (laughs) Nice timing. Yeah. There's a point where you can basically call the police and like offer to become uh, an informant and rat on everyone you've experienced to protect yourself. And so typically that was meant to be an in-game moment, but they had saved that number and called it after the game ended and basically were asking about immunity. And so oh, that's awesome. And so Sydney was being like, I love these people. I'm like, don't speak so fast. They're currently yeah, ratting on you right Sorry. now. <laughs> Sorry, man. Bad news. They just called the cops. <laughs> so being able to create moments like that was really exciting. He was crushed. Yeah, he was very sad. He felt bonded with that. Yeah. Uh, but that th- those that that was an exhausting three days. Mm-hmm. But the feedback we got from that was incredibly strong. The performers had a blast. It was they unlike anything they'd ever done. And every single person said like we want to do this again. They'd done an exhausting performance. Like they were tired, mm-hmm. but they had this energy buzzing through them of something they'd never done before. And the fact that the audience we got such positive feedback for something that looking back I always see other flaws and the last minute things we had to do to change. But we, we were so exhilarated by this, this kind of storytelling. Uh, the experience, so to give you a sense, it was half an hour. Uh, you bought a time slot and you either went alone or with another person, kind of what the Nest did. And you had two to three actors around you. One of them was Ray, who's guiding you through as your friend. But each night was different. The puzzles were all diegetic in story and were mainly around you manipulating people and having to solve things sort of in, um, in the real world. So how would you get someone's cell phone away from them? And so there are moments that people connect the dots where they realized, oh, this is real. My phone works. I can use my phone. And if I call this number, it's going to ring. And it's going to ring in the person over there who doesn't know I'm calling him. And I can text him whatever I want. And I can mess with him. I can be a troll. I can rat out Ray. I can do whatever I want. And the game will react to it. And watching people have the realization that, oh my God, I can kind of do whatever I want was really exciting. And and playing around in that space was so much fun. The hard part is we couldn't do a permanent business like that. Having to rely on performers. Yeah. But You're talking about a large cast and crew, right, from the yeah. brief description that you've given. Completely. And so it works as a pop-up. It does not work as a permanent business. Will it pop up again? Yes. Yeah. Do you know when? <laughs> Can you say? <laughs> we just that Thank will. you. We want to say hanging there in the air. Thank yeah. you, Mike. I appreciate that. <laughs> Before the summer, maybe we're oh, looking really? for locations now. Yeah, oh, okay. there are a couple options. The only thing is locations are expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're looking at maybe off days. I mean, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Is that possible? Yeah, we're, we want. Will people come out on those days? For well, you this? see, that's. Um, I think that was the original 
nights too. It, right? it was, yeah, yeah, it was. So I guess you're right. People will come out, but and that's something that Mike and I have talked about, uh, especially uh, from August to November, is alternate programming nights. Yeah. <clears throat> because when you start getting into that period of time of the year, you are competing against so many haunt experiences Completely. that I have always felt, and that's why a lot of haunters nights are on Tuesdays. Um, I've always felt that if if you can commit to offering alternative nights. More than likely, I think you will sell the tickets. I mm-hmm. really do. Because I, I hear that among my friends of, well, there's three things on Saturday night. I have to pick one. If you can yeah. do the alternative nights thing, I, I encourage it personally. Yeah. We, yeah, we we definitely want to do it just because it was so much fun. It's just, it's more of an ex- experiment uh, to kind of play with that as a way as promoting, in a sense, the story and Stash House. That it's just... Yeah, everybody had a really good time. And I think the way we see it is that Stash House is part of a larger narrative structure, that Stash House would be chapter, like, five in this sequence. Mm-hmm. And it would end probably around six or seven, and we'd have a definitive mm-hmm. ending where if people go... The idea is that if you go and all, all do all chapters, you basically get a personalized experience. So if you went from night to night to night, you got characters that recognized you, and your choices would stack up. And so the idea that if you do all of them, you kind of get the full experience. So it's just the idea of I want stuff like that. I want episodic content that happens in real life. I want characters to remember me. And I know there are certain attempts to do with certain experiences that are based on like, oh, you have an object, give this the next, bring it to the next experience and you'll get some special one-on-one or something. Right. But in, we wanted to go deeper than that and make it feel like your choices mattered and you have a history with this character. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, the, just playing around with this stuff. And now that we have Stash House built, that location is obviously a fairly generic template. And we want to do another experience or two that's more immersive with performers in that space that kind of play on the, uh, some unusual aspects of it and, and give people sort of the chance to feel like they're almost breaking the rules, not the rules, but breaking through in kind of a different territory and doing unusual things. I'm in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, just as fans, like that sounds so exciting. And I mean, it's exciting for us. I think, again, there's something about... I want to create the experiences I want to go through. And I know Dom feels the same as we want to create experiences we want to do. And also we want to take people on adventures. I mean, this is the storytelling we always wanted to do. It's just, it's a little, it's different because people are able to connect a lot deeper to it. It's kind of the discussion of like embodied entertainment versus like screen-based entertainment, which for me, we, I mean, we love movies. We love TV. We love storytelling in general, but framed entertainment, even if it's the most surprising thing in the world, it is always going to be in that screen. Video games have dabbled outside of it with stuff that is very meta, whether it's Eternal Darkness or Star Tropics or games that kind of break that mold by having you interact with the real world. ARGs do that a little bit. But with immersive interactive stuff, the idea of a twist might be how you engage with the real world. And that's something that is much more impactful than a plot twist of who killed someone or you know what the answer to a mystery is. And those impacts are huge. When you are able to pull it off or stick that landing, you can have a giant impact on someone. I've been through experiences like that are world-changing. And why I'm sitting here (laughs) is, is, is because of that. And so being able to help even create a small moment like that. It's like I have a list of things that have impacted me or story elements or twists that I love. And those are, those are the things I'm chasing, wanting to create this for other people. So if we can even hit a fraction of the stuff I love, then we've done our job. Mm-hmm. And you had mentioned earlier um, 
two of the things that kind of blew your mind was Sleep No More and going to like one of the first escape rooms I mean, or so in LA. Yeah, those are the first ones I ever had. And that, I mean, some of the stuff that I saw early on wasn't very good even, but to a person dying of thirst in the desert, getting a drop of water from a rusty canteen is still nourishment. Mm-hmm. I think it's even just the reveal that this space existed. And once you did that and you, and, and Don, he came back to you, like what was your immediate reaction to that? And then did you get hooked on it the same way he has? Yes. Yeah. The first time Tommy mentioned going to an escape room, I'm like, okay, let's check it out. I have no idea what to expect. And we went with a group of really close friends and we all just came out with this, like, that was amazing. Let's go do another one. And I did that also within the next couple of weeks with another group of friends that I had that are coworkers. Um, and we came out with the same reaction and luckily enough they had a second room and we were just like, okay, we're booking it. We're going to go do it and came out and be like, where's your next, when's your next room opening up? (laughs) So it was kind of like that. And it just, it all kind of made sense. I think, I think for a while when we were working in the studio system, we, we struggled with meeting and working with people who didn't want to make anything. And that's, and that was frustrating. And, now we had the opportunity. We're like kind of faced with this opportunity. It's like, wow, we could really make something ourselves. Let's do it. And we just wanted to build something, you know, and connect with people. And it's so gratifying to watch from our office when people are doing Stash House. And it's just so cool to see, especially new people and, and people that have done hundreds of rooms, to kind of experience what you've put so much time and effort and thought behind. So it wasn't a convincing when he's like, let's do a puzzle game or it was just like, okay. (laughs) Yeah, no, he didn't have to talk me into it at all. It's just my mind just went crazy with possibilities. And I just did all this research as far as what the other rooms uh, were all about, what kind of stuff. And we just started tossing out. We had some really cool ideas. Some of it were, you know, lofty budgets um, that, you know, maybe we can tackle in the future. But, uh, and we just thought that, and I think really what we would really want to do with, a, um, we wanted to do it with our initial room was to work with actors and street baptism gave us that. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe the next room, if we were to do another room is that we can incorporate more actors, full-time actors in it. But that's really what, you know, what really got us motivated was to be able to work with actors and give them dialogue and create scenarios. And Well, I mean the, like we started out this conversation with both of your backgrounds as yeah. producers and writers and directors. And so, yeah, of course you'd be drawn to that. That makes perfect sense. I think also it makes the story a little more real and a little more unique. When the idea of as soon as you add a performer in who's not just a game master sitting in the room just making sure you don't break stuff. Yes. When you have someone that's... We've all played those. Yeah. (laughs) And I I think what Caden and Russell did with The Basement is pretty ingenious with their performers and the relationship you have with them, especially with the one you have in the study. I thought that experience was brilliant. And, And I got to beta test the study and I just could not stop raving about that performance. And we talked to the actor who kind of originated that role. And just the even the little details of sort of the makeup choices and the interaction and how it created a very specific feeling and and that that element was really a great reveal. I love that moment. It's still one of my favorite moments in in a room. And the fact that it was based on an actor, you know, in a way that that was very surprising and engaging and satisfying, fit the narrative, and was a moment that. Uh, I, I will never stop thinking about. And extremely interactive. Yeah, completely. Because, because you're, the actor has you fa- performing tasks and repeatedly failing at those tasks. Yes. And you have to figure out, that's part of the fun of that escape room, yeah. is figuring, reading the clues. 
it, there's 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 a line the character would say uh, that I that's still like an ongoing joke between a friend of mine just because that moment was so delightful that that uh, yeah <laughs> I think you know what it is yeah <laughs> yes so we'll say that to each other and and it's just this and so when actually when Russell and Caden came to play um, Stash House we had that we had a I had a couple little hidden messages for them around the room oh, one of them funny. was that that's very funny uh, so that that was it's just really those moments are really cool seeing how you can enable a performer uh, and that's really clever on their part the fact that the performer the role didn't require lines minus a certain thing it was smart combining the role of game master and character into one Mm -hmm. so for us it's like okay well how can you push it even further how can you make this person uh more engaged and how can you make it perhaps less you know with that there's really no it's 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 binary the interaction you have with that character is very binary. It's like, can you add shades of gray? Can you make it where your interactions affect a certain outcome and you get a slightly more personalized approach? It's like, I always been thinking about how to push it more and more to make it feel more real to the point where people at the end could, and, but of course, if you make it too interactive, then you run the risk of, well, what happens if it goes off the rails? So it's all about finding that, that ground where it feels like anything can happen, but in reality, it can't. So those are things we'd love to play with. And mm-hmm. I think down the line, we'll probably get to it. So this this whole conversation that we've we've covered like the the business card to street baptism to stash house the room experience like how long was that whole <laughs> genesis how long did it take a lot longer than we expected we're yeah. talking years right uh i think it probably came close to 2 years right yeah yeah um it was uh, a a big learning experience, which I don't think I would ever ch- uh, change it. I wouldn't trade that in for anything. I think, you know, we learned a lot about ourselves having to go through this because we pretty much left our jobs. Um, well, I, yeah. I, I was fired from mine, which was <laughs> perfect timing. Um, it was meant to be. It, it was, it was of, meant to be. It was the kind of thing where I don't think I would have left otherwise. I had been there a long time and I was very unhappy. And I don't fault them for firing me. Um, but at the same time, you know, I don't think I would have left on my own accord. And that that was a scary realization because once I was gone, I realized how quickly time had passed. And I looked back and a week after, getting fired is a weird experience, but a week or two after, it was weird to look back and be like, that was eight years. Mm-hmm. And it felt like six months. And Don and I were sitting there talking afterwards and I'm like, I cannot let that happen again. I can't be in, a, in an office job, a day job, being miserable about everything and i don't want to go back to that so we committed to full force this and do this and make this work and i don't think it could have had one of us gone back to an office job you know even though that wasn't the studio system it just it it was still just a day job you could have put it anywhere and are either of you i'm I'm looking at don right now like are you still producing for other people or is this your full-time job as well now um, I freelance on the side. Oh, okay. I work for a buddy of mine. Uh, I do branded content. He does a lot of branded content. His big clients are like Honda, Acura, Land Rover. So mm-hmm. we'll go off and do it. And through building Stash House, last year I probably worked maybe two weeks out of the month uh, with him. And then the rest of the two weeks was just working on Stash House. That sounds great. Yeah. So it, it worked out. Tommy's got freelance gigs as well yeah. here and there. So I'll do consulting. I have... <laughs> I have like seven projects now, which I don't get a lot of sleep these days, but um, yes. So yeah, so I'll do a lot of, but everything I do is immersive interactive consulting and uh, we still write too. So we have 
a lot of films that have been optioned and are exploring hopefully getting made and uh yeah so we had a film that was made uh and that was that was funny it was i tell myself how to quit my job if uh it came to that where i was still employed and they would not have let me have the month off just for the shoot um mm-hmm. so i tell myself i would have quit then and it just so happened i got fired a month before that happened so it was weird um three weeks after being let go i was on a set of a film we wrote Mm-hmm. So it, that was a really odd experience. Which is what? Public uh, disturbance? Yes. Public disturbance, yeah. Which in a weird way, it, that's been, how long has that? Because it still hasn't come out yet. And it's been, <laughs> we were working on Stash House right around the same time we were writing that. Mm. So, yeah, I don't feel too bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That we, happens in the film business. Yeah. <laughs> Things take years sometimes. Yeah. And then we, yeah, we were hired to write another film right after that. And so we used Stash House as our, so we, yeah, we used the back office. We used it as a writing office because it's a nice way to get out of our house, uh, you know, our houses and, and go into a space to not be distracted. It's just, you can have, there's not a lot extra to do there besides sleep and, and work. So it's a nice, it's nice having an office that we can get to. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, we've written a bunch of shit there uh and and it's it's nice to have that space and how'd you find that space um i live close by i'm maybe like half a mile maybe not even half a mile away and i drive by there every day on my way to the gym um and i saw a release sign one day and i called it and i checked it out and it was the strangest thing it was (laughs) the it was an old discount shop uh clothing shop called pink ribbon went inside everything was pink it was like the lady just left everything was still inside and it took me, I called Tommy right after, and I was like, man, I saw the weirdest place. I don't know what we can do there, but I feel like there's something there. And it took me a while, a couple of days, to realize that, you know, I was like, dude, you got to come back. You got to come by and see this place. It's, we can do something there. And, yeah, and it just worked. It felt like it was like a natural fit. And a lot of the stuff that we like in escape rooms, it had just, it, like, all, it was already there. And it just needed it needed a lot of TLC, uh, but the potential was all there. We saw. Oh yeah, so, it's yeah. a great just, space. Yeah. it's a great space. It's it's the whole building is obviously a. I mean, the building I adore, and I, it, we've gotten to learn more more about it, which has not actually. It's it's made it more intriguing than knowing the part of the mystery. I think even makes it more interesting than than not. But I remember the first time I saw the space, and when we got the space there was a wall that I was really curious about just because it didn't make sense. We were in the property line and there was a door that didn't open, but it didn't go into our space. So we're like, where does this door go? Cause we're at the end of the property. So what is this door doing here? And so we ended up tearing down a wall or like beating down a wall with a metal pole and discovering there was a door behind it. We found a bunch of hidden stuff in our space. Wow. And it was just like, it was a weird moment. And we found another door in another area uh, and we just started exploring the space and there was a creepy old wheelchair ramp and just dust everywhere. And it was like, what, two in the morning? Oh yeah. It was, it was, it was two weird. or three. Yeah. It was late. I heard noises up there and I'm just like, yep, nope, nope. <laughs> yeah. It was just, it, but those moments were like, yeah, we found the right spot. Just the whole energy of the space and how unusual the layout is. We knew we could lean into it and, and really embrace the, uh, kind of the feeling of being in an unexpected and surprising place yeah i think it succeeds <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, so you mentioned wanting multiple chapters uh in this what's next i think relaunching street baptism in kind of a newer expanded format we learned a lot from the games we ran um 
we want to work with all the same actors, uh, so we hope we can get them all back. They all said they wanted to, so now it's a matter of scheduling. Um, but yeah, we want to do a little bit longer. It's half an hour, but it felt a little bit rushed. Uh, we'll probably add a little more in terms of mechanics and a little more in terms of interaction. Uh, probably more options about how people react. To give a sense of sort of the design of it, we wanted the performers to kind of know what, um, and this is really in the curtain a bit, but we wanted the performers to know how the actors or how the guests would do. And so part of the design philosophy I have is designing for a certain triangle of, of experience. And if you do that and make sure that people can't jump out of that triangle, you're good. So each of the points, one is the troll who's just going to naturally try to watch the world burn and poke at every edge and try to find where the world ends and just push people off it. Uh, then you have the new person who either is like, it says I'm the killer. Am I supposed to read that out loud? Oops. Or the other example is just will not move at all. Just sit still and it's like not moving, not responding. And what happens if you hit that? And the third is the overly aggressive player who's just like, I got to win everything. And either is like pushing the performers or like pushing you be like, win, 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 win. And if you can design an experience where those players are taken into account and the actors are trained to handle them, and either push them back, and obviously if something gets destructive or bad, then the game ends and they're out. As soon as the actor or the guest safety is called into question, then it's over. But so long as they can keep things corralled and nip those problems in the bud, uh, or redirect them or figure out how to handle it, then the experience works. But the question is, how, what kind of player are you dealing with? Obviously, people come back night after night, you get used to what their style is. But the very first night, we had a moment where a character who is forgetful misplaces something and you see where he places it and he freaks out and he starts accusing you of stealing something from him and he berates you and yells at you very like it's meant to be a very you know zero to 60 moment where this person's like laughing and smiling and trying to be hospitable and suddenly out of nowhere like where are my keys screaming at you and in that moment it reveals what kind of player you're dealing with if the person freezes and looks scared and doesn't respond then you know you need to back off it might require a little more hand-holding it might require the, the Ray character to like be a little more um, proactive in suggesting things to do. So that's, that's good for them to know, and both performers would learn that. On the other end, if the person immediately reacts and is like, oh, they're right over there, then you're like, okay, the person's going to respond. Um, you get what kind of player they are. But if their person is curious, why is this guy screaming? You know, but if, and they, so if they respond, they keep calm, and either they pocket the keys... Or they find a way to redirect. Then you're like, okay, this person I can put a little more pressure on. This person's a pro. This person gets it. And by having that information in the first two minutes of experience, they know where this, where it's going to go. Mm-hmm. And so building those in early on where the audience has no idea they're there, that that moment was meant to be a pressure test to see what kind of person they're. That's not like tutorial levels in video games are really annoying. Like you just skip, skips. Like I want to go to the action. <laughs> but some of the best levels in game design teach you how to play without you realizing it. And this is one of the other end where the the actors are learning what kind of playstyle you are without you realizing it. So it's like little moments like that. We want to probably inject a few more things like that. So it's really just going through the design and figuring out like the structure. So we'll probably be expanding that a bit more and then adding a new chapter and then adding a final chapter to the story. I would like to keep going with chapter after chapter if possible <laughs> why let it end yeah. <laughs> yeah we want to keep going and find just there are so many ways the story is rich in terms of crime is an interesting thing and that's actually another thing we figured out in an apartment it's like what can you do in an apartment that feels seedy without feeling uh distasteful 
Hmm. We've been accused of being distasteful um, and inappropriate. Uh, I, I'm scrunching my face <laughs> <laughs> because I, I'm like, like, what? I think I, all right, I, I can, if you had someone really sensitive go into that room, I can think of two things immediately that might. It's, be... it's, it's been by someone who will never play or has never done anything we've created and will never do it. Okay. And we're okay with that. And we're happy to keep that person far away from us. But, um, yeah, we don't ever want to be seen as being exploitative. And in my mind, you know, we're really influenced by Breaking Bad, by Grand Theft Auto, by stuff that has gone to that but is never meant to be seen as something that is making fun of anyone or is is being, you know, exclusive and trying to make people feel bad. So as long as we can keep telling stories in that world. So one of the things we're thinking about, what's something seedy you can do in an apartment? And you think about, okay, well, in L.A., what is there? There's drugs and prostitution. And as soon as you deal with prostitutes, that it's like, well, no, we don't want to touch that because that is a very sensitive situation. There is exploitation and trafficking and lots of stuff where that's not interesting. It, it, it's risky. It's, it's, you feel bad. There are victims in that scenario, and you don't ever want to play with that. That makes people immediately recoil in horror. But as soon as you add drugs, you're like, okay, well, wait, flushing drugs. That's interesting. That world of drug dealing. You know, uh, I'm sure at some point everyone has known a drug dealer, whether they've known it or not. I grew up in Kansas, and I knew a lot of kids in my private school who dealt drugs. So it's the kind of thing where, okay, you can explore that world. And, you know, I think we should just legalize them all. And, you know, so I have very strong opinions about it. But at the end of the day, like, are drugs really evil? And are people really victims? Yeah, they're addicts, people that go through that. But we tried to approach from every angle of, is this exploitative? Is this distasteful? And is there a way to touch this where it feels forbidden, where most people in their lives are not going to be really flushing drugs, but also we're not making people shoot someone in the head or inject someone with heroin or, you know, sell themselves for sex. It's like, those are the things we like, we feel okay with making people go down that journey mm-hmm. while very clearly drawing the line of making sure we're not trying to put people in an uncomfortable situation. It doesn't make sense. It, it, yes, it does. And it's nice to hear you be that conscious of it. Uh, it, it's funny because one of those examples I have done in a show <laughs> and actually, wait, I've done it in two shows. We, we both have. Yeah. Have you guys sold yourselves? So, no. <laughs> no, he said a show. <laughs> Thank you. Um, Dang audience. But it's nice that you have that awareness because it, it you know, we've both done more extreme horror experiences mm-hmm. that want to push those buttons yeah. and want to go there. And that's a different type of exploration than I think you guys are doing. Yeah, it's like those experiences I think are interesting to explore, especially if you can do it in a way that really challenges people. But for us, we wanted to push people to the edge while still being, you know, open to most people. You know, most people are not offended by Breaking Bad. Like, that's kind mm-hmm. of the, the the way we gauge whether or not people are, want to play this or are able to handle the content is, have you watched Breaking Bad or have you played Garen Theft Auto? Or have you seen Game of Thrones? Like, honestly, I think Game of Thrones is more extreme than what we have. Hmm. You know, so Some they of the do, behavior, yeah. Yeah. You know, the violence, for sure. We have implied violence. You never see it. You see the after effect and you hear it, but you never witness... You know, I think a person getting roasted alive or getting their head cut off is much more extreme than what we have. Mm-hmm. And so the idea of we kind of use that as the arbiter of whether or not you might be offended. Um, but but we, you're always going to offend somebody. Yeah. There's mm-hmm. so many sensitive people out there. And I think for what Tommy and I talk about is we just have to be committed to the truth and the truth of the characters. And if, if what we feel is true to the character and true to the story and they're still offended, 
you know, we've addressed it. We've thought about it. We've tossed it up. You know, we weighed the options and we decided we decided on a decision. Yeah. Is a reasonable person going to be offended by this? And the answer is no, then we're cool with it. Yeah. And that's the big thing is that, you know, for, for horror and more extreme stuff, it's like, I love that places explore that. But mm-hmm. for us, it's like that naturally you limit your subset of people that are enthusiasts for immersive entertainment as soon as you add an element of extreme horror or even something scary. You know, that's one of the, that's actually, I think the first question on our FAQ is, is it like scary? Just because that's a question we often get. Say it in the right voice, Tommy. Is it like scary? (laughs) (laughs) We'll get that a lot. And we have to clarify, like, no. Mike and I obviously have, I I think you know enough about us. Like Mike and I have done some pretty extreme stuff (laughs) over the years. How Um, extreme? (laughs) Extreme I want to know. I want to (laughs) know. And the only time, I'm only speaking for myself here, the only time that I have ever had an issue, and I've had a couple of major Mm -hmm. issues where I have literally stopped shows. With like a safe word or? No. I, I once stopped a show without the safe word. I became so enraged at what was happening that the show stopped and I didn't have to call the safe word because mm-hmm. the cast knew oh, yeah. it's like whoa I had been completely misled mm-hmm. by the creator of uh, the show see that's that's bad. and I got into a situation I walked into a situation that was so ridiculously extreme physically aggressive and I had not been warned at all mm-hmm. and so the fact that you're taking this care and the only reason I'm going here is because it's like I, I want to compliment you and say, please continue the caution that you're expressing. Mm-hmm. Because like I said, two times, and I have become really upset. And I didn't stop the other show, but as soon as the show ended, I went to the creator and said, this is completely misleading. I was completely unprepared for what you just did. What was the response? Uh, <laughs> one creator... Uh, had no idea what his cast was doing. Oh. Yeah. And the other creator went into defense mode Mm. and tried to justify what they had done. Mm -hmm. And I was like, "Uh, okay, I'm willing to have this conversation with you. And we actually had the conversation of, okay, fine. Let's talk about this, how you feel that you are justified in doing what happened in this show. And their argument just didn't hold water. Mm Mm-hmm. Because it's like, oh, well, you know, it's, it's, it's based on the story. It's true to the story. It's like, okay, fine. You explain it to me. It's like, well, I'm not going to do that. That's up to you. That's a deflection, and that is a cop-out. Total cop-out. What was the purpose behind it, just to get a rise out of the I think audience? it was shock value. Shock value. I think it was shock value. So, well, I, one of them was shock value, and, and the other one was just literally um, a show that got out of control. Mm. And and do you believe the creator when he said that he had no idea what the cast was doing? Or did you yes, kind I of completely playing? believe that the creator. I don't know. No See, the thing is, I don't know which one's worse because yeah. if you're a creator and you're you're creating an environment that is meant to be, you know, allow people to kind of go on a journey, even if it's an extreme one. It there is especially for extreme stuff. The impetus is on the creator to make sure it's a safe environment. Because yes. you're trusting in that situation. Yes, and that, that, that was my issue, is because I trust, and like, and look, you guys just had the conversation of, like, this is, th- this is how we want to push limits, or this is how we want to push people, and we realized that certain people can't be pushed that way. I trust the creator in setting that up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like, and I go to you, and I say, okay, look, is it scary? That's a legitimate question. Yeah, yeah. 
Now, I have to make sure that if I'm having that conversation with you, you know, it's like if eek a mouse is terrifying to yeah. me, that's different than, uh, fine, throw a bag over my head and throw me in a van, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm fine with that. You know, that's two different levels of is it scary. Yeah, it's like, are you afraid of chairs? Oh my God, yeah, that's terrifying. But I think that, that's sort of- <laughs> How a, did yeah, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you're afraid of chairs and apartments, uh, then yeah, you're going to be terrified. But Or puzzles. If you're afraid of puzzles, I'm sorry, you're going to piss yourself. (laughs) I think the challenge for us is also finding out, yeah, what exactly qualifies as scary? And for us, it's all about what a reasonable person expects. And we also sometimes ask questions where if someone's concerned about something, is there crawling? Is there something? I'm claustrophobic. I might be scared. of. Okay, we'll clarify, you know, without spoiling stuff. And sometimes we'll ask questions. And for us too, if you are claustrophobic, as long as you have a group of people and at least one of them is not claustrophobic... Yeah, then you're fine. So it's the idea of finding environments, you know, that that allow people to kind of be safe within it. So we know that we have not everyone's going to have to go through a small space or not everyone's going to have to go through a scary, dark maze. You know, Mm -hmm. Uh, that was a big goal of ours, too, is making sure we could create an accessible space that, you know, even if someone is scared of something, whether it's puzzles or any aspect of the thing, you you don't have to do everything. You, You can hold back. And that was important to us. Um, and I think everything we do going forward is always going to have that element of safety. I applaud that and support it. <laughs> Just from personal experience. <laughs> uh, what was the... Uh, I think we, we touched a little bit on this, but I think we digressed. What was the actual inspiration for Ray? I think it was originally just we wanted there to be a drug-dealing character. And we hadn't really classified the name at all, even. Um but when it came down to us trying to be super cognizant of not feeling like we're stereotyping anyone or being racist or being, you know, insensitive to that, to, to just to anyone, coming across the idea of, okay, well, what if we do a character that every video is a different ray? We have five intro videos and they're all different actor, different mm-hmm. race, different ages, just whatever. And then it's like, okay, well, there's an interesting story there. Because that was simply meant not to be even addressed. It's like, okay, well, people say my Ray was, you know, one guy and, oh, your Ray was, was someone else. Is there, is that a story? Is there a story there? Okay. And I thought there was. So why would a guy have different people be someone? And so it, we honestly, it was when we met Sydney that that really started to solidify that Ray could be one guy. And we didn't see Ray as anyone else but Sydney. Once we saw him do that role and lean into the character as well as he did, it says, okay, well, we want to change, we want to play with that story. And do it in a sense that maybe Ray isn't his real name. Maybe he is a knowable. Okay. And that's where we began exploring this role of a character that why, okay, why would he change his name? Why would Mm -hmm. he use a different name? What's his background? Uh, Why does he feel the need to have to be this person and what motivates him? And that kind of came up with Street Baptism as we started building that role out. Yeah, it sounds like you've been exploring that ever since. Yeah. So it it was kind of a cool revelation to figure out the background of why a character would do something, especially as extreme as be unknowable. And we realize that's kind of the ultimate power trip is that it's hard for people to come after you if they don't know who you are. If they search for you and all they have is a name and you came out of nowhere, they might be trying to find your identity, find out who you are. Uh, But at the same time, they don't know your weaknesses or your persona. You can craft a brand new person. And that's terrifying to people if they can't, figure out who's coming after them. And that's sort of, we realized what his persona was, was creating this unknowable character. And think about it, you know, looking back, I've made a ton of mistakes in my life. And I've, I, I, there are things that I wish I could undo. 
and that people always see me a certain way for certain things I've done. But if I could craft the person I want to be and people could only see me as that, that would be interesting. But people don't get that chance in real life. A person who's in a criminal underworld running an organization that's illegal, that person has that chance. So who wouldn't want to recraft yourself from scratch? Hmm. Are you still thinking <laughs> on that? I'm still thinking. Okay. <laughs> Um, So you guys have been open for a while now, um, and now that you're behind the scenes watching the cameras, what's the strangest or funniest thing that you've seen, like, people do in the room so far? I mean, I think I'm a bit jaded because I have friends and I've seen rooms operated for years uh, behind the scenes, heard horror stories, and so I think a lot of stuff that's happened is pretty tame from what I know has happened out there. (laughs) Wait, what do you think? I had a a, group of... um young kids there was most of them was their first time doing it it was probably nine ten kids that came through you know maybe 21 22 young whippersnappers yeah <laughs> they uh they got so into it it's so much fun i was worried at first that they were gonna like damage stuff but um you know they treated everything with respect they were super loud i feel bad for anybody that was all the monks that yep. were sleeping um what <laughs> yeah that is true there are a group of korean buddhist monks who live in the building <laughs> Yeah, so anyway, these, these group of kids, I didn't have never seen this before, but this group of kids, when they got to the end and they were flushing the drugs, the sound effects came on and they all just dispersed and hid <laughs> from the cops that they thought were coming. And I was like, wow, this, they really like, they went for it and it was great. And I, <laughs> it was, it was, that was kind of a, a really cool effect. And they, you know, just watching them kind of experience it and then just kind of going with the flow being engulfed in the whole uh, the whole world that we've set up that was that was really fun. There's a, there's a lot. There's a lot. There's there's that's more recent. There's a moment of surprise when uh, I opened the door for a game and I saw a group of like twelve or thirteen year olds. That was great. And it's like, so I shut the door and I go out to Dawn. And I'm like, um, so we looked in the camera and it's a group of like five or six twelve year olds. And there's like a lackadaisical burnout father wearing like a, a fish. Uh, no, he's, what was he wearing? He was wearing like some, uh, like a Foo Fighters, like old band shirt uh, from the <laughs> 90s. And he um, he just looked like a total burnout. And it's like, well, did they read our website? <laughs> and so I go back out and I'm like, just to clarify, um, our game is a little more mature than most. Um, and the dad's like, okay. He's like, well, what's it like? I'm like, it's like Breaking Bad or uh, Grand Theft Auto. And uh, can I swear? Or is that? Yeah. The kid, one of the kids, the 12-year-old was like, I fucking love Breaking Bad. And the dad was just like, that's my kid. I'm like, okay, you'll be fine. (laughs) And then the best part is they had uh, two other adults join them. And it was like an older guy in his, what would you say, 50s? Yeah, like I got yeah, in a, in a button in a button down in khakis. Yeah, completely <laughs> out of place. He had it a little bit more together than the other guy. Yeah, and then I would we we were trying to figure out the relationship between the family because it was clearly a family dynamic, but we couldn't figure out if the if the woman involved was married to one of them and the other was an ex, like as a current like a Brady Bunch scenario. <laughs> That's yeah, kind of like a burnout Brady Bunch group. And there, there, there was a really hilarious interaction between the way the family engaged, especially uh, the kid that was holding the phone. 
and the mother was telling him to put it down and she's like you know put it down put it down like people need to see it and he's like no but they're telling me so i was talking to him and like encouraging him and kind of like sowing the seeds of like family strife a little bit just to get the because the kid clearly had been belittled by the family uh-huh. and i wanted like you know at you mom like you should be able to hold the phone if you want <laughs> and so i was kind of empowering him it was really engaging because the kid got some confidence over the course of the game especially when he was right they wouldn't listen to him for some things and he was right and so his name was Russ. I'm like, you're right, Russ. You can do this. And he didn't say anything. He just kind of gave like a nod. And I'm like. <laughs> That's awesome. So it's, I think it's moments like that. Being able to, especially with the phone involved, uh, to be able to have a relationship with the players that's different every game. Uh, being able to engage. We had one group that came and played that were, they were outside doing Velociraptor walks for some reason. And so at the, uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. They didn't know we could see them on camera. And so at the very beginning of the game, uh, it just fun to set the tone. Because as soon as we start with the phone, uh, we'll all try to set the tone with an inside joke they were saying or just something. And I was like, you need to be careful, guys. There's something very dangerous out there. And they're like, what, what, what? And I'm like, I see velociraptors are in the area. And they just started cracking up for almost the whole game. The fact that we'd even observed that they felt embarrassed, but also loved the fact we were calling back to an inside joke. That's great. so. I love moments like that of people being able to like laugh. There's another one that some guy uh, was holding the phone and saying the phone was telling people that they were idiots, and of course we weren't. But he was like <laughs> he, was, he was trash talking people, and so um, someone you know the guy's like yeah the phone says you're an idiot, and so then I would type you're an idiot, and he's like see, and I'm like no you. <laughs> and, and then his whole group is like ooh and I'm like you should come to this area because there's some aloe vera and the guy's like why I'm like for that major burn <laughs> <laughs> and so being able to make the phone feel like it's part of the like the group is really really fun and so I think they're just little moments like that of, of uh, people feeling like oh this is a little more personal as, as a blast yeah. like we never want to make people feel like they're being isolated we want to feel like the character is part of their group and like encouraging them but also a little bit of light teasing we would never overstep our bounds but that's why at the very beginning of the onboarding process we can kind of gauge what kind of group they are their dynamic and kind of how far we can push things but we would never want to make anyone feel insulted you know we are always very supportive also when people do stuff we you know support them if they make if they're like oh my god we were so dumb duh i'll do like sarcastic applause so, like, just goading them politely, but at the same time encouraging them. So having that relationship of a, good, of a friend. Mm-hmm. So that's something I don't think I've ever seen done in a room before. And so it's really... And it works really well. Mm-hmm. It, it, it adds fun to the room. Yeah. Completely. So since you are now operating Stash House and you're getting all these positive reviews, I have a question about other escape rooms that you've done in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. What other escape rooms have you really enjoyed, inspired you? Uh, what would you recommend to... Because we do escape rooms all the time. Obviously, there's a ton we haven't done. What would you recommend? What do you like? It's tough because I think there are a lot of amazing owners and people in this community, and we try to support each other and kind of build a positive space. Uh, so I am sure I'm going to be omitting or forgetting a lot. But the ones that pop up in mind, uh, obviously Crossroads, um, Maddie and Luke are brilliant, and their Funhouse and Hex Room are both just perfect examples of you know, two very different kinds of themes. But then them exploring and playing with these ideas in really clever ways. Incredibly creative. And I think what I really like about them is they are very thoughtful in their design. And they are approaching things in a way that they're never satisfied. Not in a way of like, change it all for no reason. 
but in their exacting and their and their um, feedback and in their uh, approach to design in that they really have very high extremely high ideals mm-hmm. and i was very nervous about having them come and play our room <laughs> um so yeah so crossroads for sure i am a big fan of uh escape chronicles north hollywood i think they have some exceedingly clever puzzle design um and just they're very thoughtful owners uh arcane and santa clarita i am a big fan of they're also very thoughtful designers and owners the hideout is an incredibly clever game and if people have not played it it's it's does some ingenious things with space and kind of non technology which i love these constraints of how do you design a room with no electricity uh or very little which i think is really really clever uh the virus of course i'm excited for their new room which is opening soon um and bob and and larry are going to some interesting methods of advertising which i'm excited by because they're doing a little arg aspect uh which of course they're denying but i i love (laughs) i love i love getting a friend request from a doctor and not knowing i'm like who is this guy? Right. And so the fun discovery of what they're doing is really exciting. Um, let's see. Evil Genius, of course. Um, I love their their mode of letting the rooms play into each other and becoming... Which I loved. Yeah. yeah being kind of this connected narrative. Um, I would be remiss if I didn't say The Basement. I think The Elevator Shaft is a beautiful, beautifully produced uh, Disney-level piece of work that is just... It's stunning in its, in its build-out and... Yeah, I'm excited and really impressed by what Caden and Russell are doing there. Uh, and excited for the courtyard to open soon, which I hope is sponsored by Marriott. Uh, <laughs> yeah, let's see. Uh, anything that you'd pop out? Oh, like oh, Brian, uh, the, the way Brian uh, at uh, now 60 up, but what used to be Countdown, what he's done with Krampus has been really impressive in terms of watching it evolve. Oh, and cool. his exacting sort of sense of, again, I think the biggest thing is looking at most of the creators I mentioned is that their approach to design is always learn it's never finished and i think there's a version of like a quote-unquote crazy person who's just changing things for no reason but the idea of pushing yourself further and learning part of this and why i think i really connected with people in the space is because they're passionate about this they are in the space for different reasons but ultimately it's to create an experience that people go on as an adventure or a self-discovery or just have fun but people, like, they push constantly to get better. Uh, EscapeX in Irvine has some amazing examples of that. Comparing what they first did to what they have now is astonishing. And uh, Curtis and Kathy taught themselves so much. And I am so impressed with what they've done. And so excited by the weird, crazy stuff they're doing now. And I wish all owners took a cue from that. That you can learn, you can teach yourself so much. And again, every one of these owners has done that. Where they've come at it from different angles. Yeah, I, I'm kind of blanking on other ones, but there's a lot of amazing things. He's got it. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking that's at a great list. Anything to add? Yeah, Don, what do you think? <laughs> I've got nothing to add. That's pretty that's comprehensive. I feel, bad. I, feel, I feel bad, yeah. So if, if I'm omitting someone, um, it's not because I don't like them. It's just at the moment I'm overwhelmed with how many there are in L.A. And it's an embarrassment of riches, honestly. Yes. I think we have a number of creative people who come from different creative fields and creators I love working with and love seeing create are ones that have foot in another space. Like uh, my friends Ariel and Juliana, who created uh, the Escape from in a Box. They are, every one of the people have, who I've named have come from different creative fields. And so having a, a different, whether you come from writing or performing or designing or any other background that's creative, it gives you the ability to edit and 
learn how feedback works and create and these different ideas and think in different ways. So it's exciting to see how people approach sort of a similar problem in completely different ways. And it gives you a vocabulary and a language to kind of add in your sensibilities. Uh, so I'm always excited to see different backgrounds of people. And everyone I mentioned is just, yeah, I'm in awe of what's out here. Nothing to add, Don? <laughs> I think Tommy covered it all. <laughs> yes, there's a wealth of different variety of rooms in LA, and there's so many more opening all the time, and it is inspirational to go, and, and when you find something that's truly fun and, and, and it really just speaks to you, it's like, it's, oh, those moments are great. Another one I forgot is uh, Tyre over at 60 Out who did Putin Bunker and Dr. Psycho. Putin Bunker is one of the few rooms that actually genuinely made me laugh. The, cool. sense of, the sense of humor in that. And again, how often is it that you go through an experience and find it funny? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and he was able to approach this idea of like, why the hell would I want to go play a room themed on Vladimir Putin's bunker? But it has such a <laughs> sense of humor to it. And knowing Tyre now well enough, like he's hilarious. And his sense of humor just bleeds through in everything he does. And I absolutely love that approach. So it's really interesting getting to know people and seeing their personalities come across. Uh, that's probably one of the interesting things is I learn to appreciate experiences more when I get to know the creators because then you realize how much of an extension of themselves comes out. Uh, it's really exciting to sort of see things pop out like that. You want to go? <laughs> to an escape room? Yeah. Okay, let's go. <laughs> so, I got a really good recommendation. Oh, wait, sorry, Mike, you can't come. <laughs> <laughs> so going through the, the creating and the building and everything that goes into creating a room... Um, what kind of advice would you give people that want to follow in your footsteps? I don't know. I think it's just figure out why you're doing this. If, if I, I talked about this with you guys off, off mic, but the idea of eating food at a restaurant does not make you a chef. Just because you like something and passively consume it does not make you a designer. And go into something knowing it's going to be hard. And if you're expecting a quick payout or to be good from off the bat, you are very wrong. And you need to go in fully aware this is going to be going to the trenches, you are going to be spending money and time and being proven wrong multiple times. It's very humbling, and you have to go in fully prepared for that battle. That you're doing this, and it may not work at first. And if you approach it with that sense of design, and you have to learn a shit ton. You have to read, you have to play games, you have to do all the stuff to approach it. You can't prove that you're a genius from scratch because no one is. No one creates in a vacuum. So I think if you go into this, be prepared to know what it takes and talk to any creator because every person that's in this space will tell you the exact same thing. It is not easy and you have to be in it for the love of it and it's not enough for that. You have to be in it for love and put the work in. What he said. What he said. Yeah. Um, what, yeah. What would you say? It, it's, it's the same thing within film. Is you know, if you're writing something, you're making something. You have to share it, share the idea with people, get feedback. Don't take anything personal. If you have a good community of people that you can trust and you can share ideas with before you're before you even sign the lease or before you form your LLC, you know, share the concept of what you're thinking about with folks and let them poke holes in it. And don't take it personal. You know, there's a lot of rooms out here in L.A. And uh, and if you reach out to the right people, it's a very good group of owners. And I think everybody is willing. The majority are willing to uh, or to listen and to help you out, give you advice. Don't be afraid to reach out. I would say the thing I really want to see people do as a challenge is don't do what you've seen. Be different. Be weird and experiment like crazy. 
I think this is a time when this industry is going to start becoming stagnant. It already has. You're seeing a lot of big franchises play it very safe and make experiences that are just cookie cutter types. And it gets frustrating because I still enjoy playing this stuff, but most people in their lives are only going to play one or two experiences like this and they're done. So the challenge is what makes someone, what makes yours different? Be weird and experiment and try new stuff. You know, the reason I mentioned I always hate the term escape room or room escape is it's limiting in the imagination of what it does. And yeah, people give the bullshit answer that, oh, well, you're escaping reality. But no, it doesn't always have to be in a room and you're not always about escaping. It, it can be more. You can do other stuff. And I, I think that really limits people's imagination. So I would say try to think outside the box. And everyone I talk to, I try to push to do something different in whatever that is, whatever your strengths are and whatever your imagination is, try to try to do something different. Don't play it safe because it's not the time to do that. You need to make a name for yourself and stand out. And if you come at it from a genuine place of curiosity and excitement and feel that you have something to add to the conversation, then do it. So we have uh, one last question for you. Uh, Russell, do you want to ask? <laughs> So uh, it's a traditional question on our show, and no pressure, but this is how we judge the worth of every human being who we encounter. And the question is, quite simply, are you team Snickers or are you team Kit Kat? Kit Kat, that's easy. Snickers. Okay. Well, makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's the good. That's the logical choice. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. I'm so serious. So, 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 oh, okay. <laughs> There we go. So uh, help yourself. So. Do I have to say trick or treat? <laughs> My spider web bowls. <laughs> By the way, I learned an interesting thing. So I grew up in Kansas, but in school in St. Louis, uh, kids there say jokes when they trick or treat. Really? Yes. Really? Yeah. Which I think is actually a brilliant move because you actually have to work for your candy. And so I was, I was passing out candy uh, and I was with a girl who had grown up in St. Louis and people were telling jokes and I was confused like why is every kid telling me a joke and she's like that's what people do but I'm like not everywhere and she's like it's universal right I'm like I know like (laughs) my entire life in the midwest never and she's like you're just messing with me and so I had to go and pull like five other people that grew up other places outside of St. Louis and they're like I've never heard of that before I've I've never heard I haven't this. either. Yeah. But I it was like I kinda like that system because I actually over the course of the night I would give jokes that I liked, you know, uh a little more candy. And ones I didn't I'd be like, eh, you know, okay, you, you get you know, you get the malted milk balls or something. Uh yeah, you get the Werther's original, you know. And the good kids got the full size candy bars. I, but I love the idea of, of being able to judge a kid's routine. And think about that. It gets kids confidence and they get to work on like every year they get to polish the material. They get mm-hmm. like a little set they do. And That's I love it. That's very cool. Yeah. But so not every kid's a comedian. No, but it helps. <laughs> and where I grew up, I don't think people trick or treated. <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't remember seeing kids trick or treat. Did you grow up in like a Mormon community or like what was your. Just right outside of DC. Hmm. We didn't trick or treat. <laughs> oh, I feel bad. No, we used to have trick or treaters. The the when I stopped having trick or treaters is when I started living in apartment buildings. Yeah. That's when I started not having trick or treaters. So when I lived in a house in college, like we always had trick or treaters. Yeah, I was in a duplex, I, I, and that's where they would pop up. Yeah, that 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 was the cool thing, and and I loved having trick or treaters. But yeah, ever since I've lived in complexes like this, 
Like, <laughs> you don't have trick-or-treaters anymore. But you always get that one guy that comes to the door who's not really in a costume. He's like 24 years old. Yes. <laughs> and you're like, aren't you a little too old? <laughs> See, unless they have a really funny, witty like reply, that's why I think the <clears throat> joke thing comes in. Even if you're a 24-year-old, you have to have a joke. If you don't have a witty comeback or reply, like you're getting nothing. <laughs> yeah. You're getting the apple yeah. with the razor blade. <laughs> and with people entitled out here, if you're doing trick-or-treating stuff now, it's like you ask the kids to do anything. It's like, tell a joke? No. Like They'll come and egg your house later on. <laughs> Very entitled. <laughs> wow. A couple of things. Uh, do either of you have other projects that you want to mention or things that you're involved with that you want to bring up? Um, I have too many, but I suppose <laughs> you I... pop up in a lot of places on other podcasts. Uh, I'm sure people are sick of hearing my voice by now, but, uh, <laughs> I would be remiss if I did not mention the museum of selfies opening in April, uh, in Glendale. Okay. Um, I would probably be beaten if I didn't say that. Um, I think that's it for me that I can talk about. Do you want to talk about any podcast stuff? Supercharged. Oh, yes. I, that's, that's right. I co-host a podcast called Supercharged. Thank you for that. I am so trying to throw you the lead here. Thank you. Yes. Yes. I, I forgot. Adam will get very angry if I don't mention that. Yes. Uh, he hits me. No, I'm kidding. He doesn't. Adam's a wonderful guy. Uh, yes. I co-host a thing called Supercharged. We talk about technology and just weird ways in which people are changing and moving around in the world. It's it's uh, you. You have some interesting conversations, and I want to thank you for one. And that is the recent conversation that you had about um, our nation's odd situation oh. with gun violence. Yes, I figured that would be polarizing. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, it's like th there's a few controversial moments, I would say, in that podcast. There are. <laughs> I really like Adam's a great co-host because he he's not afraid to just say what he thinks. And so we can have some very honest conversations. And... I agree with him a lot of the time, but there are some interesting times when we'd have a debate where he approaches it from a very different point of view than I do. Mm -hmm. uh, and I love having that con those conversations. Yeah. It, it was a very, very interesting conversation. There's one I'd, I suggest, uh, it, it goes back pretty far, but we talked with someone who created basically a chat bot that handles cyberbullying. Wow. And we got into some pretty interesting territory because I was very skeptical and very negative about his product. Not that he did a bad thing, but we got into some interesting, and he, I give him credit for coming on. It was the CEO of the company. And we were talking about the, the implications of what chatbots becoming basically akin to telling someone. And is how do you feel with the responsibility that you might take the place of telling a person and rather it's a chatbot. And the chatbot basically would give advice. It, it, it gets interesting, but it's a cognitive behavioral therapy over chatbot that's crowdsourced. And I admire where the guy's coming from and the service it's offering, but my fear is that it's going down a dangerous path of how social media is affecting us. Well, that, that's um, my impression is I'm, I'm just starting to delve into that podcast, mm -hmm. and I think you probably it seems like you probably have covered social media topics a few times on that podcast. Yes, and that is something that I, you know I find myself as an adult right now pulling away from social media. I, I have a Facebook, but no one knows it. It's, it's, it, it might, it's not my full name or real name. I've mm -hmm. been off it and I have very strict rules about what I do and don't do on it, which is I use it for professional uh, obligations only. I don't really chat on it unless people message me. Exclusively talk about business. I don't get on and search. There are things right. that I deliberately did for my own mental health. Uh, after I erased my personal Facebook. Mm -hmm. And so there's things that I deliberately do to avoid social media because I know my behavior and the way social media traffics in people. Uh, it's you are the product. And 
their goal is to keep you engaged as long as possible to give you ads. Yes, correct. And they don't have, they've added ethics officers now, but that's basically trying to put a pilot on a plane after it's already left and been piloted by AI for years. Yes. It's just the ethics person is being pulled along for the ride. So I have a lot of issues with social media and their issues with handling elections and news is, is one of many aspects. Don, how about you? Any projects that you're working on that you want to mention? Anything in your past that you want to admit now? <laughs> uh, we have a few film projects that are out there that are probably, hopefully, they'll come to fruition within the next couple of months, but probably nothing we want to mention just yet. Yeah, well... Still early stages. They come If they come out or are made, they'll be very interesting. Yeah. Tell me about Vampiria. Oh, yes. Because um, <laughs> I love that name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, a friend of mine, Matt Abaya, a filmmaker from San Francisco, um, makes these very... Did you see it? So, no, I just found out about it uh, like 24 hours ago. <laughs> okay, it's streaming on Prime. Um, uh, he has a very eccentric way of making films that is just so crazy. Um, and all I really did, honestly, was just give him some money on uh, Kickstarter. And, ah, okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, but he's, a, he's an interesting guy. He it was a labor of love. Uh, he took many years to make that film, and he did all the special effects. He learned all this, you know, all oh, wow. the effects software himself. Um, yeah, and uh, yeah, it's always I, inspirational I, to hear a story of someone doing that from scratch and actually getting it out there and getting it seen. Yeah. So, and it's been accepted to several film festivals. Yeah, he's screened yeah. at several several film festivals. Uh, it's Filipino folklore on vampires. Oh, interesting. That come and steal newborn babies. They like detach themselves. Uh, well, I, I saw your name listed as a producer on it. I wasn't sure if it was a money thing through Kickstarter. I wasn't yeah. sure. I figured if that might be part He was of very it. generous with yeah. uh, the Kickstarter donations. So <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, anything else coming up? Um, Tommy and I uh, worked on a short film, Manifesto. It right. recently screened on Shorts HD. Okay. They have a channel on. 182 Universe and DirecTV. Uh, I don't know the next time it's going to screen, but that should probably come out within the next couple of months on like Amazon Prime as well and IndieFlix. Oh, cool. Yeah. And where can people get more info on Stash House? Uh, he's making me do it because I, I was the one that insisted that our domain be Swedish. Stash Ho? Yeah. <laughs> it, looks, it looks cool on a card, but trying to explain to people is maddening. We didn't uh, find about that. We didn't really find out about that until we had to really explain it. <laughs> yeah, because we're so, like, oh, that looks awesome. And then you're like, what is your website? Oh, it's so it's the word stash house, but then put the period before the SE. So, like, so it's stashhouse.com? No, it's not. It's stashhow.se. Huh? So, yeah. It's, so it looks like the word stash house. Don't put a com anywhere. Just put a period before the SE. So it looks like stashhow.se. But, but we, have, we have a few other safety ones. Yeah. We did get some pointers. There's stashhousela.com and stashhouseescaperoom.com. That will point to the Swedish, <laughs> the Swedish website. Yeah. You can get there from here. Yes. Yeah. And all like, yeah, everything is, you can find everything on just Stash House LA for pretty much all the social stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. Cool. Mike and I recommend all escape room fans visit Stash House. And, and thank you so much for coming and talking about it and telling us about your journey. Uh, please, we want to know about Street Baptism when it returns. Uh, we want to know more about Stash House when it, when you said there's more coming to it and it's developing. We want to come back. Uh, congratulations on your success. And thank you so much for just yeah, thank coming you and guys. sharing. Thank you. Yeah, thank and you Russell, for having us. You're welcome back anytime. So, <laughs> thank you very much. I appreciate that. 
great meeting you guys <laughs> mike and i will be back excellent we look forward to it yeah look forward and to thank it. you for bearing with our, our uh, story it means a lot absolutely thank you so thank you again uh, to Tommy and Don for coming and sharing their wealth of knowledge and telling us about the process and talking about Stash House and street baptism and everything. Like, seriously, we had so much fun at Stash House, and it was cool hearing a behind the scenes of how it was made and everything that led up to it. And this is another one of those times when it's really interesting to talk to people who are so passionate about the creative process and it's inspirational to hear people like this talk about their journey and their encouragement to just go out and, you know, chase something that you're interested in. Yeah. And the fact that it took them two years and they didn't give up and absolutely, you know, like it's worth it. The final product's worth it. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Pun not intended. (laughs) Yeah. Product. Yeah. (laughs) I see what you did there. All right. Uh, I think that wraps it up, Mike. Yeah. Um, so thank you for listening. Um, again, check out Stash House uh, if you're into puzzle games, not escape rooms or escape rooms because you'll like it. Um, <laughs> so check it out. It's stashhow.se it's, or stashhousela.com. Thank you again for listening. Yeah. Thank you. I'm Mike. And I'm Russell. See ya. Get out. Mm. We're done for now. Just gonna sit here then. <laughs> Make you all wait. <laughs> <laughs>